Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Danny Batten Fight Show. This is episode number 118, and we are powered by Violent Money. So please do check out Violent Money TV on YouTube for some incredible interviews. Also check out the Violent Money products in store at violentmoney.co.uk. And of course, you can get 20% off if you use the code H20. They've got some great products on there and training apparel particularly for all you uh, you fighters and gym freaks. But uh, as always, um, i like to make mention of the Violent Money Academy as well. It's the first smart gym in uh, the UK, so please do check out that. And we will have a virtual tour of that coming soon. Um, I'm just waiting for him to send it to me, but I know he's uh, going to send it to me soon, and we'll have some other fun and uh, good stuff coming from them as well. 
and maybe some collaborations and some interesting content also. But um, there's so much to talk about this evening. We've got UFC set 278 from last night, which was very uneventful. Not, not a lot happened, some rubbish fights. It won't take long to talk about that. We've got Ben Doherty joining us, our resident boxing pundit, to talk about uh, Triple G's fight from last night, as well as uh, the latest boxing news. And, of course, we've got another name from Combat Sports to uh, have a chat to. So I'm really looking forward to that. We're live on Facebook and YouTube, as always. If you do prefer your podcast in audio form, then you can get the Danny Button Fight Show, as well as all the other different series and content produced by Ace Podcast Nation through the Sports Social Podcast Network. So uh, do check them out. Send them, tell them we sent you. And, uh, and away we go. Yeah, check them out. But uh, joining me as ever... He is a former Cage Warriors world champion, a UK MMA legend. It is Mr. Daniel Batten. How are you, mate? Yes, I am, listeners. I'm doing good. Uh, can't wait to start reviewing that UFC, some really close contested bouts. And, of course, we're treated with boxing as well. I can't wait to get Ben Doherty's uh, take on that and listen to his review of the how he saw things went down. I thought it was quite an interesting boxing match myself. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, just a night of good fights. And, of course, we have uh, another top guest for, for this week. I'm delighted to uh, welcome. You've seen her in Cage Warriors Wales, uh, Cage Warriors Academy Wales, sorry. And, uh, of course, she's a part of Shaw MMA. And uh, how are you, Miss Stephanie Evans? How are you? Uh, good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Not at all. I'm looking forward to it. Could have, could have done without you just, like, posting out our link to all your followers. <laughs> but, you know, I know. good start, wasn't it? Lucky not many people are interested. No, I was all right. It was <laughs> good. You're not, the, you're, not the first, you're not the first person to do it. Let's um, so, say, you know, here's what it is. Um, so... We're going to talk a lot about you, uh, Steph, for the for the next thirty minutes or so before we switch to sort of a more general MMA, uh, which would be nice for us. Maybe not for you. I don't know. It depends on <laughs> yourself, I suppose. Um, tell us first, like, take us back right to the start. Tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, your upbringing, like all that sort of stuff. Where did it all begin for for Stephanie Evans? Um. Well, I've lived in, like, Potomac my whole life, so it's quite a small town. We Ooh. definitely, um, and my friend... Let me interrupt you really quickly. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Very unprofessional. I need you to settle <laughs> something for me. Um, <laughs> does it, is Port Talbot, um, is it more Cardiff than Swansea in terms of where it is? Swansea. More Swansea. Swansea. Yeah. Right. I'm about... Yeah. 40 minutes from Cardiff and probably 15 minutes from Swansea. So, now you are. See, my wife, she was um, she was born up there and uh, she's a, uh, an avid Cardiff City fan, but I always tell her that she's she's uh, a jack and uh, she, <laughs> she argues until she's black and blue that, um, <laughs> that it's Port Tower is Cardiff. There we go. Thank you. Well, I don't, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think yeah. I'm not much of a football fan myself, though. Yeah, um, you, just, you just settled a big, argue, a big argument. It's been going on about 15 years now, so <laughs> I win. <laughs> right, anyway, um, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, my friend Glenn always says that um, Potomac punches above its weight, and that is definitely true. Um, and there's, like, a lot of... Um, Good, good fighters that have come out of Talbot and just like 
famous people in general for such a mm. small little um steel town like so um you've got obviously Joshua John at the moment um doing really really well in the boxing scene um and hopefully you know I'm gonna fly the flag for the MMA side yeah. um so yeah I've grown up in Potomac my whole life um I was always never very sporty, always very academic. Um, I tried really hard at sports, though. I'm not, like, naturally um, athletic, I suppose. I'm not very naturally gifted, I don't think. I just try really hard. Um, So I started playing rugby when I was about um, 14. Um, I think, like, I'm sort of a broader girl I'm quite tall as well I'm like five nine so um I've fitted into a second row quite nicely mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah I played probably for the Ospreys um under 18s and then into the senior squad um yeah and I just I wanted to do something to sort of up my rugby game um when I got to about 22 um 23 and so I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, and I just sort of decided I liked that more. Um, oh, nice. I fell in love with it. And, yeah, it started from there. Uh, I started in Nails Fight Centre um, in Carmarthen, um, not far from us. So you've got, there's quite, like, a few good fighters that have come after there. You've got mm-hmm. Kelly Cox, um, Richard Frango Williams. Like, there's, you know, some good fighters that have come from there. Um uh, so yeah, I started started there. I was there for about three, four years, and then just before COVID hit, um, I moved down to Shaw Mixed Martial Arts. Um, just I think I needed more training partners and more training partners that were my size as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I went down there, and you know, it's just been absolutely amazing. The 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 team down there are fantastic. Obviously, the coaches are fantastic, and and I see I've just sort of like fitted in nicely. I think I've I've slotted in the team quite well, and um and they're like we're like a big family now. It's 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 nice. So yeah, yeah. See, I mean, obviously, a sure MMA. You've got you've got a good mix of, of top fighters, top coaches, and uh, top facilities, which is always good. Um, yeah, you know, as you're wanting to develop your skills and stuff. In terms of um, going back, you said you played rugby for for the Ospreys. Was that like um, something before you discovered combat sports and martial arts? Was that yeah. something that you would have gone down as a you know as a career? Um, back when I played, there wasn't there wasn't much of a career to be had in it. Yeah. So only this last season. The girls that I used to play with that are still in the Welsh setup now, of um, some of them have been made professional, so that's their job now. Um, but for years and years, like it's been really difficult for the girls, like um, managing jobs, full time jobs. Some of them are mothers and have a full time job, and then playing for their country, and it, you know it was really really difficult for some of them. So um, yeah, I think. The, I never, we never sort of saw this coming with it being, um, them being professional. It was, yeah. that just was the way it was, that it was like something you did for the love of it. And, and I'd just fallen after the love, love for it. And I, um, jujitsu, I just sort of, 
um, enjoyed a lot more. Mm. What was it about uh, jujitsu? You said when it was the first thing you started with. What was it that that you liked about that in those early days that sort of drew you to it? Um, I think I just had quite a natural like aptitude for it. Um, I I think having that like a aggr- not aggression well yeah aggression from rug- playing rugby and not being afraid of that sort of contact um I just like sort of took to it like that taught and mm. um and ended my first comp after like two months of training I think um and had gold and then I was entering like a competition every weekend um at white belt and winning them all just because I was you know stronger and more like aggressive than most girls that are that come into this the sport so um I think that was nice to like finally realize like oh I'm good to this Mm -hmm. (laughs) so how old were you if you don't mind me asking when you started with like your journey with martial arts and stuff like that then um 23 I think 23 24 yeah it's quite late, really, isn't it? Like, I mean, a lot of the, the, you know, a lot of the fighters that we speak to, the coaches that we speak to, ex-fighters, you know, it's, it's, it's they usually get into it in like their teens and stuff yeah. like that. But obviously, you've said you, you've got, um, you weren't particularly gifted when it came to athletic things. You were more academic, so you've yeah. kind of found that um, a bit later than maybe is whatever is the norm, I guess. Um, what was your what was your best at school in terms of your academic uh, academic side of things? Maths. Ah, right. So you're proper yes. math, mathematician, is it? I might have to yes. set I might have to set you some uh, some questions later. Like, uh, see how good you are. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> I actually went on to do a maths degree in uni, um, oh, so I went to a maths degree, and then um, I did a PGC. So I I was a maths teacher in a comprehensive school for a, a little bit, um, but. It just wasn't for me. So um, I left there in 2018 um, and joined the fire service instead. So I'm a full-time firefighter okay. now, just like on the side. Amazing. <laughs> the, um, do you know what, right? I got so much respect for comprehensive teachers because I got three teenage boys and mine are pretty good, really. But like teenagers are, are generally are quite horrible. And yeah, I can't think of anything worse than trying to control food and, and getting no, to listen, no. listen and, to you and stuff. And they don't want to do maths. Like well, yeah, that's the other thing. Or something. Something <laughs> was, um, no. Maths was, yeah, no teenagers want to sit in a maths lesson, really. Like, yeah. Brutal. Cool. Um, Danny, like, like I just said, like, um, obviously Steph's come into it slightly later than maybe what would be considered like the average or normal for for fighters you normally hear of them coming in a bit younger but I think in some ways that could be an advantage couldn't it because you're a bit more mature and and you're going to pick up things you're able to in lessons and things like that and coaching particularly in the earlier days do you think so that it could be a yeah yeah I don't I don't think it's late by by any stretch really it's just that we do often hear of people training in martial arts as juniors and then branching out yeah. into MMA as they get a little bit older. But no, I don't don't think it's too old. Um, and especially no, if you get under... No, uh, not yeah. too old. But, um, you know, I don't think it's old by any stretch for this reason, really. I mean, if you get under yeah. a top camp such as Steph is, you know, you've got all this 
coaching and all these other great athletes that are achieving uh, to, to give you all their game. And I think as long as you're smart and you've got an able body, I think it's easy to pick up or, you know, on all their experience, basically. So, you know, the only thing that you have to gain is experience and you've got to do that by competing. And from what Steph's saying, she's doing the right thing by just jumping into grappling tournaments. Although it's different from MMA, it does get you used to dealing with yourself with God's nerves and fear and general being competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, I, I, and I know what you're saying, Si, that you know, sometimes when you come in, it could be the right sort of, uh, time as in like you've got perhaps more of a mature mind and your take to it and take it more seriously from the get-go um, you know that could definitely be the case as well but no I think there's plenty of time to achieve um, Steph what's, what would you say is like the your favourite part of MMA in terms of like which discipline do you get the most out of in terms of enjoyment Um, I think it's obviously started off as jujitsu, and that was um, you know my favorite thing because there's all there's always something to learn. Um, but I think recently, wrestling um, okay. is my new it's my new favorite love. Like <laughs> it's so hard, um, and there's so much to know. And I am so well. I I want to say I'm so bad at it, but compared to the boys in the gym, I'm so bad at it. Um, mm. And and I love that. I love the the grind of a wrestling session. You know, we we go in and we do um, we warm up, and then we'll do sort of four nine minute rounds in um, a group of three, and the loser stays in. And it is hard. Um, and I love that about it. That's sort of my favorite um, sort of section when you want to cry a little bit on the way home in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I often do it. You can ask Brett. <laughs> Brutal. Um, and I think, obviously, like you've got, um, like you just mentioned, you've got like Brett Johns, you've got Jack Shaw, you've got Oban, you've got Richard Shaw, but then you've also got the incredible um, coaches and stuff up, up at Shaw MMA. It's, um, that's a, it's a lot of good... Uh, world-class minds to kind of learn from and pick their brains in terms of if you've got questions and stuff like that. What's it like to learn from those types of uh, people? Um, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's invaluable. Like, the the coaching that's there is just another level. Um, they can't do enough for you as well. Like, it's not... I think some people think that going to a gym like that, it's maybe segregated like um the the fight team like the elite team and then everyone else but it's not like um shaky can't do enough for everyone that's there mm -hmm. um anyone that has a question he will take the time to help you as much as he can carl is exactly the same him um yeah everyone it can't do enough for you so any questions that you have throughout the session um they you know they're more than happy to help you out yeah and then um, what about like uh let's give us a little bit of an insight to that team who's the jokers in uh, in training and things like that uh, who's, who's the one in this uh being a bit uh, a bit cheeky and, and having a who's naughty yeah. dickie dickie's the naughty <laughs> 
Yeah, Shaggy's the worst. He's he's the worst at all. And usually I am the butt of every joke that he makes. <laughs> <laughs> I am the farewell to all of the jokes. Yeah. yeah. And Steph, do you, do you have a, a community of other females that you train with? Sort of like... Yeah, it's, it's growing. Um, we're getting a nice little group of us together now. Mm. Um, so it started off just me um and talia um talia's just as jiu-jitsu um so it was just the two of us and then obviously you've got the younger girls as well that have now gotten you know a bit older and they've sort of um they come to more sessions and then um lauren has recently um started training with us as well laura comes from a really um strong kickboxing and thai background um so that's been really really good for me because my stand-up has never been never been great and she's looking to go into MMA as well so um I think she's definitely one to watch over the next couple of years and um she you know she's been hitting the grappling sessions all the time so it, it's, it's only a matter of time before she sort of starts to saw the scene I think mm-hmm. and when you first went along to the gym to see the session or, or did you just go and you know, jump straight in the first time you went into the gym but was that ever a concern you know because from a guy's perspective we just go along do we like the atmosphere we jump in but was it ever part of the equation that you, you wanted to see other females there or was it not an issue for you at all um no it's never been an issue for me when I started in nails I went down the gym on my own um and I was the only girl there for um four years you know there was there was never any girls that I did a women's only class on a weekend but um it they never really sort of came to the other sessions and um that was more of like a just for fun um for them so yeah I've I've had no problems being the only girl in a gym um since I started um I started training with Scott and Brett um Scott Pedersen and, and Brett ahead of my uh IMAF uh tournament the world championships in Bahrain um and they had sort of said that they were going to go down to show my martial arts and um that they were all going to travel up together um and yes I just went with them and and it's just sort of stuck from there yeah I trusted their judgment and it, it paid off <laughs> I like it. Um, I was going to ask um, Steph, like, what is um, when was the point that you decided you was going to turn pro? Was there a particular moment or conversation with like you and Richard, or was it just something that you had thought about for a while and you kind of um, decided? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, I had at the end of two thousand and nineteen, I'd come back from Bahrain. Um, I didn't get the result that I wanted. Obviously, you don't go to a world championships um, without hoping that you're going to win, um, and I didn't. Um, so, yeah, I, I was I was a little bit disappointed in myself after that. Um, so, 2020, I'd hoped that I would go to Euros, maybe win that, and then hit Worlds again, and then go pro. Um, but Obviously, COVID happened, and we were just sort of on standstill. Um, so I had at the end of last year two more fights to sort of like dust off the cobwebs, um, which put me at seven and two. Um, and now I think, yeah, there's not really a lot left for me 
at amateur, um, especially not in this weight class. So, yeah, the only other girls that are left are like, you know, one and oh, or just starting out. So there's not really a lot left for me now. Um, yeah. With that, I'm, I'm kind of interested what it's like for females on the amateur and the pro and the early days of the pro scene. Like, is it quite difficult to get fights? Because also, Sorry, there isn't the life done. Yeah. <laughs> just gotten really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, if it's difficult to find matchups and fights with, like, on the amateur scene in MMA, and and then obviously when you're going to turn turn in pro, like, because there, you know, there isn't as many female fighters as there is male, you know, in the in the amateur scene. I think obviously it's growing, you know, as more and more, and hopefully it'll keep growing. But is that quite? difficult sometimes or frustrating if you can't get matched up yeah it is and that late as of late is be it's become like the most frustrating thing for me um ever i just want to fight booked in um and there is just nobody honestly even um at featherweight at pro mm. um yeah I, i'm finding it really really difficult to to get a fight um, obviously, those big promotions like Bellator, um, they have a really quite a good um, featherweight division for women. Um, but getting on there, you know, I need I need that like one or two good fights to sort of get my name name out there. And um, but finding those those one or two fights is, is just proving so difficult. Um, I was hoping to fight um, March. That didn't happen. Then I was hoping to fight May. Nothing. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm just sort of focusing on getting my weight down, out, like out of camp. So I walk around a little bit lighter, a little bit leaner, and, and just hope that something pops up. But it's just it's just proven so difficult to find. So if any there any featherweight females out there... Come on, Briggs, Let's come get on. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me it's up. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's got to be frustrating. We've talked before, Dan, about um, just generally, like, fighters, particularly in their earlier stages of their career, if they've got a bit of a reputation. Um, I think we talked about, actually, Jack was finding it difficult sometimes to get matched up in Cage Warriors because people didn't want to fight them, didn't want to lose their undefeated uh, things or whatever. And even um, Ben Ellis, um, when I had him in the studio with me, he said, like, he got to a point when he turned pro where he actually wanted to probably stay amateur for a little bit longer, but he couldn't get fights. No one would fight him. He was undefeated. He was finishing people quite quickly. And mm -hmm. it was it was like he almost was at a stage where I can sit here and have a fight every six, seven, eight months, or I can turn pro and get regular fights because he was finding it difficult. Is that... Yeah. Danny, is that a case of the lack of um, numbers or like what's, why is it so difficult for, for Steph and for other fighters to get matched up? Uh, I think for Steph's situation, it's literally because there's not big depth in the female scene across all the weight divisions, unfortunately, just yet. Yeah. But that, that time will come. Um, I think as soon as you get a record, say, of even, say, three on one, you know, you could get called up to Bellator and UFC. So they're all getting stacked up. Um, over onto those promotions quite early on, which yeah. is kind of needed, really. Um, but female MMA will take off. Um, 
you know, it, it just takes a little time to build up momentum. Uh, but, you know, the time will come. But, yeah, I understand your frustration. Um, we've got female fighters and it isn't straightforward getting matchups. Um, sometimes we've we've had to have Haley fight out of a weight just to get fights um, as an amateur. Um, it's not been too bad since going pro, though. Um, there must be more lighter weight females about because we managed to get a few fights um, in yeah. quick succession. I think but, so yeah, frustrating for you. Flyweight, um, even sort of bantamweight. I think bantamweight is is a little sparse, but strawweight seems to be a really really good. Yeah, strawweight and flyweight seems to be really good divisions. Like um, yeah. for women, um, sort of just starting their pro career at the moment, they've sort yeah. of all done it at the same time. Girls that are, mm-hmm. I like met throughout um, IMAFs and things like that in competitions. Yeah, um, that that are in those weight classes of all gone pro at the same time and, and it's been really good for them but and you know there's none in my weight at all yeah 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 it must be difficult but I think um for other people that you was mentioning about Sire, I think sometimes um I think if you come from what becomes a real recognized gym um and you're also boasting a good record um with fast victories I think in the amateur scene you know people do shy away from from wanting to face you, you know, something that we found on that uh, on an amateur circuit, your best has become, you know, known as a, you know, one of the better gyms out there, one of the bigger, more successful gyms, and that comes with some difficulties in, in getting some matchups. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it can be a little bit frustrating on the amateur scene. What you do get on the amateurs as well, you get a lot of a um, lot of clubs still that had say a karate background that still do karate but they also have an MMA side to it as well and you know they don't succeed on so much of the pro scene they're more amateur orientated clubs and yeah you know, I can understand that they don't want to face up to you know sure MMA and, and BSC and London shoot fighters are so such renowned clubs so yeah that can be Difficult in trying to get your amateurs matched up there. I think when you go pro, though, although you're obviously trying to pick your fights to manage your career in the most best way possible, I think you know there's uh, there's less excuses not not to take fights. I mean, when you're in cage warriors anyway, indeed, such a good matchmaker, you kind of like just deal with whoever gets put forward to you and take the fight. Um, he's he's very very good at his job. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the amateur scene is very, very different. It's a different entity altogether. I think um, even at pro, like Cage Warriors now haven't had um, like a professional women's bout on there since. Yeah, they've know, been slow on the uptake. Yeah, yeah, I think like Molly and Corey, you know, yeah, and that was Corey was the last one, wasn't she? Yeah, and that was, you know, like three, four, that was like four years ago. Um, they've not had a women's bout on Cage Warriors since that. And it's, um, I think it, it is sort of maybe I, um, time for that to, to happen again, but just finding a match to get on there is, is quite difficult, I think. I know they've been having um, a few female fights on the various academy cards and stuff yeah. like that, because I know um, Kate, uh, what's his name? Kate Bassick, who, um, I spoke with recently because I'm trying to get it on a show and down in the studio as well because um, she's you know, a very highly rated fighter and I think she was due to have a fight on the most recent Cage Warriors Southeast card, I think it is. I might be okay. wrong. With this. And, and it, 
a fighter had got it got pulled like the week off for whatever uh, reason. I forget what the reason was. And I think that's that's an issue, isn't it? Is like when you finally do get a fight and then a fighter pulls out the week of. There isn't a backup for us, no. Yeah. Men, there's a lot of option to have like that last minute, you know, standing, but for us it's, it's just not a thing. Um Cage Warriors Southeast is really good for, for getting women on there though. Um I fought on Cage Warriors Southeast um yeah. up for a bantamweight title. Um okay. I don't think I'd ever see Bantamweight ever again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I fought Ivana Sirik um on there okay. for a bantamweight title. Yeah, that was that was a good fight. Um and obviously Cage Warriors Academy Wales has been really, really supportive um in my amateur career. Um obviously Casey Blake has fought on there as well. Um yeah, so they are oh, the amateur yeah. shows are really good um for yeah. getting female fighters on. Yeah, and I think hopefully as the, the numbers grow and, and people like yourself start making a name for yourself and you know, when you get these fights coming and you're making a name for yourself they'll put those fights on the main Cage Warriors cards and the prelims of the main Cage Warriors cards. But I guess Cage Warriors is so loaded, isn't it, isn't it at the moment? Like, there's so many good fighters in all the different yeah. weight classes that it does feel like in the last five... We talked about the other week, Dan. It does feel like in the last probably five, six years, Cage Warriors has gone from... Perhaps they, when you had a cage... Previously, you'd have had a Cage Warriors card the top two fights on the card would be good or exceptional, and then the rest of the card would be a bit meh. But now it's like every fight, the prelims, you see some big names yeah. on the prelims. It's just all so stacked. And I guess if unless you run like a trilogy card where all the time where you've got three days' worth, it's difficult to fit, fit everyone in. But me and Danny talked, I think it was actually last Sunday, about the UFC um, going back to having two or three female fights on the cards because quite often the female fights are the most entertaining to watch anyway. With the within, certainly within the UFC because they just go hell for leather um, and toe to toe. But it is something which you know will grow. I think as more numbers and girls and come out and stuff like that. I do think it's going to. Mm. I do think there's up. some there, yeah. there is some positive things happening like um, Victus. That's an all-female production, and yeah. I, you know, I think things like that are going to do nothing but good for the female side of MMA sports. And definitely, yeah. like PFL is is making massive waves um, for yeah. women. You know, one fifty-five, one forty-five. Um, obviously, Kayla Harrison is sort of the face of that. Um, yeah. That is something that I would sort of hope maybe to do. They're they're doing um, you know, like similar to a contender series. Okay. Um, yeah, where you sort of fight for a contract. Um, they're doing that now at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think maybe after one or two fights, that would maybe be something that I would um, look to do. Um, Where's Invictus yeah. based? What kind of, is it based in? America. Yeah, it is Americans. Yeah, say. they don't have any fights over here at all. Um, but yeah, Invictus is another one um, that's massive. Aries now. Is it Aries or Aries in France? Um, Aries, yeah, I know, yeah. I saw yeah, that so they're signing women like the Clappers at the moment and seems to be sort mm -hmm. of the lighter girls, but but they are signing a lot of women. So um, there are doors opening and, and options 
um, there. I just sort of need that, like, first pro fight to get me on the ladder, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, that was going to be one of my next questions, was in terms of trying to find that that matchup for yourself, if you're having trouble finding it locally or in the UK, could you go and, you know, look to France or, or somewhere in Europe where there may be some other, you know, female athletes that you could match up against? Is that an option? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, obviously, with the team that we've that we've got in, in Shaw Mixed Martial Arts, it, they are... Richard's sort of happy for me to look um, elsewhere. Um, I think we've uh, looked into um, Belfast. We've got Cage Legacy. Um, they've put on some good uh, female fights as well. So, um, And then obviously um, France as, uh, um, as well. But I think just getting um, that first one is just proving quite difficult. So for someone who doesn't uh, perhaps understand how it all works and stuff in the early days like of a, of a fighter's pro career, it, do, you, do you kind of go looking for fights and then you'll go to kind of Richard and say, oh, I've seen this girl who I think would be quite a good matchup? Or does Richard go and find you the fights and then come to you and say, you know, I've got X, Y and Z? And like, how does it work? Um, it, It's a bit of both. Um, I think... He, I'll put the feelers out maybe for shows and things like that. Um, I've been sending out sort of some messages on Instagram and um, just putting the feelers out for different shows if they are matching and um, just to say that you know I'd like to be considered for a match. Yeah. Um, and then you know if there's if there's any girls that sort of arise on the scene, um, and maybe tell Dickie about them um, and hopefully like he can pass that on then to Cage Warriors and and maybe get a match up on there or you know maybe it's, it's sort of a bit of a bit of all of the, an accumulation of all of those things I think um, I, don't, I don't think it works quite that way with boys because um, mm. it's, it's a lot easier um, it's just like I suppose you know for Josh um, we did imagine it would just be like him, Dickie said to Ian Dean, we want to put Josh on the next card. They find yeah. him a fight. He's got a fight. Um, but it's, I think it's just not that, it's not that simple for women. There's just, the pool is so small. Um, it just takes a little bit longer time and, and, and quite a bit more effort um, on my part um, and on Richard's part just to find somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned, so it's a bit of a team um, effect. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Teamwork makes the dream work, as they say. Yeah. Like for Gaz in the chat has just said, um, I love that when Cy he goes more Welshy when he speaks to the Welsh girls and guys on the show. <laughs> I don't do it on purpose. It's just uh, it's kind of a you just kind of snap into the normal accent. Why where are you from? I'm from Cardiff. Uh. So, yeah. I but I try and and like particularly if I was speaking to people from America, I try to enunciate a bit clearer and just slow down a little bit because sometimes I'll be speaking to someone from over in the States and um, I'll like say something which I think is crystal clear and obvious and they'll just be kind of looking at me as if to say, I have no idea what you just said. 
what you're on about. So I, yeah, I try and slow down a little bit. I got to slow down. Yeah, to Dan. I, Dan, I, Dan, I, yeah, I have to me. say, you know, being with you two on here, I'm having to have subtitles put up at the minute. <laughs> That's a nightmare. <laughs> I um, I do find that I so went to train out in Team Alpha Male. Um, I've been out there twice for sort of okay. like six or eight weeks um, at a time. And they could not understand a word I said at all. Well, do you know what? <laughs> funny, like um, before Corey flew back to America uh, last week, she, she came down to the studio when we had a we filmed the show and had a chat and stuff. And then um, I, as I was talking to her for like an hour, I just sat by her talking to her, and I, like her accent changed about three times in the conversation. <laughs> so she was like, one minute she'd be kind of just with a little bit of a twinge of Welsh. Then it was like a proper, like Gloucester type Bristolian accent. And then all of a sudden she sounded like American Canadian. It was like, I, I pointed it out. As well. But um, that was yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. That, that your team alpha male um, mention brings me nicely to give a little plug to that. On Tuesday evening, uh, I'll be dropping a show. Uh, my story with Corey McKenna. So uh, she joined me in the studio. She tells her story from start to present day. It was only a couple of days after UFC London. So um, that was quite raw for her. But um, especially after I told her how critical Danny was of her, she was not happy. So, uh, <laughs> no, she had, no, no, I'm joking. But um, no, that is a really good episode. We had a, we had a good laugh and um, really enjoyed it. So that's out on Tuesday. So please do check that out it's on youtube and all the usual podcasting platforms yeah that's the stream yard um steph did you watch uh ufc last night yeah, yeah i did um it was well i i didn't watch it last night but i have caught up this morning on some fights not all of them but um yeah. did you enjoy yeah. it um yeah i did yeah it was a, it was a good show um obviously um trained out in team alpha male with michael mallet yeah yeah highly rated yeah so watched his fight um this morning um absolutely amazing um and obviously joey the boxing coach there um his family's going through a lot at the moment so um that was really nice to see him do a shout out and um, I think Dana has like donated uh, lots yeah. of money from fund. Yeah, so, so that was nice. So the uh, Mike, his name isn't it, the fighter. Yeah, he, uh, he had said he was going to donate half his uh, win purse to to his coaches. I think his daughter's got cancer. I think it was yeah, something like that. And um, basically, in the post fight interview with Dana White, Dana White said, you know, he doesn't need to do that. I'll cover it and donate something yeah. himself. Which Dana White, to be fair to him, has been doling out the money recently since UFC London. It's like he's got um, a new lease of life. He's just handing out like extra money all the time. He because he, um, he gave Gilbert Burns his um, his win bonus from last night because his performance was so good. Um, but yeah. yeah, look, that's a, that's a, it is an awesome thing because I thought um, Mike was actually I thought that was a really impressive, uh, mature performance by him. Yeah, um, it was. He looks really exciting for the future, I've got to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fascinating. What did you make of um, the hype train that is Kamzat Chimaev? Um, Yeah, you know, 
the hype hasn't come from nowhere, has it? it no. He is, he is very, very good. Um, me and Jack were talking about this last night, and I did have um my money on Gilbert Burns. So, speaking of having your money on, I had my money on Aljamain Sterling at seven to two. So there we go. Oh. <laughs> nice, nice little, little bit of pocket money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, that that Gilbert Burns and um, Chamaya fight was just in all all kinds of insane. It was just yeah, yeah. unreal to watch. And I think they're the fights which you enjoy. And I think. Like Dana White said afterwards, like Chamayev's had five fights in the UFC. I'm not sure how many he had outside of the UFC. I'm sure he had a couple, but like five fights in the UFC and then go and beat the number two ranked in the world is quite yeah. insane. Yeah, he's um, obviously like the, the hype hasn't, um, it hasn't come from nowhere, has it? it you know, it's, he's, he's backed it up. Yeah, and I think the other thing, Danny, with um, Shumayev, I think the good thing about last night is if he had knocked out Gilbert Burns in, like, I don't know, a minute or something, you don't learn anything. No. Whereas from having, like, a full three rounds, you learn a lot. You saw that, like, because Darren Till's been saying, hasn't he, he just doesn't get tired. He just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going. And you saw that, like... Gilbert Burns started to look a bit tired towards the end of that final round. And Chimaev just looked like he was going to, you know, he would, he's he got that kind of languid style about him. So sometimes he can look like he's getting a bit tired, but actually he's not. He's just the way he kind of carries himself. How impressive, Danny, was that performance by Chimaev against yeah, but, of re- Gilbert Burns's level? Yeah, I mean, to... To be fighting the rank number two and, and pull off a victory after such little fights is, is amazing. Um, it really is. Um, but you know, I think there was times that he was feeling the pace. You know, yeah. I remember you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience. There were times that his form started to fall into question at times. There were some punches that he was um, throwing out. There was no longer straight. They were sort of arcing down. We had tension in his shoulders where he had doubts on, on whether those shots were going to be landing. But he did do an extreme good job. Um, I think the real thing that other fighters have to think about is that that sort of performance and that sort of uh, fight where he's got three rounds against someone of that level under his belt is only going to make him even better. Um, and that's the worrying aspect to it. I think he did show, show some vulnerabilities. Um, you know, he did get knocked down. He did look tired, I felt. Um, his wrestling wasn't as dominant as perhaps people were perhaps expecting it to be. Um, but, you know, that said, that shouldn't really be a surprise in that he's so inexperienced compared to someone like Gilbert Burns. Um, but like I say, I just feel like those sort of experiences that he's gaining is just going to consolidate his trajectory of improvement and uh, is just become going to become even more so of an animal. But after watching that fight, I don't think he's quite ready to be taking the title just yet. Well, they're on about um, him fighting Colby Covington, aren't they, next? Yeah, yeah, I think... I think matchup. But I do think... Another, that'd be better. Yeah, I think I'd be better. I don't think he's ready to take on Usman just yet. No. Um, I think another then, one or two fights, it'd be, be well in place by then. But you say that, but the only person in recent times who's done anything against 
um, Usman is Gilbert Burns. He mm. came very close to beating him. So, I mean, from that side of it, I do, I, I get what you're saying. I accept what you're saying as well. I agree with it. Um, I just think some of the shots he took last night and he never, he did get knocked down, but he never looked like he was going to be finished or he was wobbled. He just kind of took him. There was the one uh, right hand he took, I think, in the end of the second round. That finishes 99.9% of fighters. Yeah, It was just insanity. But like you say, there there is holes in it. But then you said about the wrestling, Dan, like he didn't dominate as much as perhaps some people thought he did. Mm. He also, every time Gilbert Burns tried to sort of clinch up or grapple with him, Shemaev dealt with it very... You know, very easily, really, and I think yeah. that's something which impressed me outside of the obvious things. Like I was mm-hmm. impressed with just how comfortable he is. Just a, you know, he almost brushed it off, sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, just for the 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 last sort of ten minutes or so that we've got, um, Steph, with us, I'll fire some questions at you, Steph, and um, okay. see where we go. Um, what fighters? Do you look up to or uh, inspire or follow? Like, what what fighters are you sort of? Do you enjoy watching, past, present, whatever it may be? Um, uh, I love Ronda Rousey. <laughs> I've got to say, I did. I really did. I loved to like. Same for women. She did. She changed. Yeah, the game for women, she really did. Right? Um, and she was, you know, on that big hype train just as I was starting jiu-jitsu. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to be that. Um, you know, she was just, she was amazing. And and it is cliche, isn't it? But, yeah, I, I do. I, I do love her. Um, and when she was, when she was up there, she was, you know, worlds above everyone else. I just think um, sometimes people catch up with you and, if you don't like constantly develop, people will cash up with you so quick in this game. Um, so her, um, I liked like classic Anderson Silva, yeah, like OG Anderson oh, yeah. Silva. Um, yeah, and at the moment, I think I just um, keep like a little eye on. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. People that I would want to fight. Okay. Over so the next couple there, of years. <laughs> is, there, is there one lightweight in any company in the world who is like featherweight? Who's your your dream opponent if you could pick anyone now? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably Liam McCourt. That'd be a fight. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I think I've I've got my my eyes firmly set on on that one. I think battle of the Celts, there we go, right to yeah. <laughs> Um, 
in terms of, do you do you watch a lot of you like MMA? Do you do you like we get a lot of fighters? Some fighters will watch everything. Some will only only watch you know their sort of weight or their division in that company. Some don't watch any. Like Paddy said, he doesn't watch anything uh, other than maybe you know his upcoming opponents and stuff. Like, what are you? Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not a huge watcher. I'll be honest. Um, I like watching highlights. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if it's someone that I know, um, I've trained with, or you know, competed with, uh, been on the same show as, and you know, chatted to, I'll keep an eye and 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 always support them. Um, so if it's somebody I know, yeah. Um. And if it's somebody that I want to fight, yeah. God. So my my sort of weight class, um, I'll keep an eye on, um, and yeah, just to support the boys. I think. Other than that, I don't really like watching no. that. Much. <laughs> yes, fine. Nothing says you have to, is it? Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, um, what are you watching on Netflix at the moment? Um, nothing. I don't. I don't have. No, I, I. don't have a lot of time to watch telly. Um. So I like. Obviously, I train like fifty miles away. Um. Oh, so it's a 50, track, it? yeah, it's fifty miles there, fifty miles back. So it ends up being like an hour fifteen by the time we get home and have food. Um. Bed. I'm just gonna go to bed. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. I don't really have time to watch like a whole lot. I have bought um so I've recently bought a camper van. Um so awesome. I do sleep I do sleep outside the gym sometimes. Um okay. Yeah, so when I when I sleep outside the gym I do watch um I do watch a little something on Netflix. Um but usually it's like I'll rewatch a season of Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> my um my wife is on series five of that. She's been watching it, she got She's ill at the moment, so she's been having like she's been just watching it constantly. She's watched like it's four so seasons of it. She said it's terrible, but she can't stop watching it. It's yeah, that's my favorite sort of Netflix program. That's terrible, yeah. but I just can't <laughs> stop watching it. There was um recently one called One of Us Is Lying. Okay. Terrible, terrible. Could not oh, watch oh. the whole thing in like two days. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I watched um, this week. I watched Money Money Heist um, on Netflix, um, and I watched all five seasons in about three days. Uh, see, I can't do the amazing the, the dubbing the, the, uh, the see, not matching the words. Surprised me. I don't uh, mind it. It's not. It's not my preferred thing. I don't mind watching stuff with just having English subtitles. But no, with me and my missus started watching it, and she she got like two episodes in, and she was like. Yeah, I can't because what, but what she didn't like of it is that the dubbing didn't match the translated subtitles. Oh, so didn't like, it? <laughs> no, so like you'd have the dubbing and then the English subtitle would be at the bottom and it would, wouldn't be the same. And she was like, oh, I can't be doing that. That's it's ludicrous. No. So, but I, it, it was awesome. It's one of the best TV What's shows. That? Yeah, it was really good. I was really surprised how good it was. Danny, what are you watching on Netflix? You don't watch anything, do you? Yeah, I don't watch much TV. Um, I, I watch things on YouTube. I like watching news and politics from around the world. It sounds quite boring, doesn't it? But I find it really interesting. You're so old. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. I really find things like that interesting. So I am following what's happening with 
you know, in France with the elections there and stuff like that. But um, I, if I watch TV, I normally like to watch documentaries. And okay. I like things yeah. that, yeah, that I, and I like watching things on serial killers and I find that quite intriguing because um, I find humanity really intriguing how loving us humans can be and also how brutal we can be as well i find that really fascinating so mm. watching something like uh you know serial killism i, I like more the, the ones that not necessarily about the actual crime itself they commit but on their road to why they may have gone down that route for crime so they go into their child psychology and stuff like that and i find that really interesting that floats my boat but i have had my moments with netflix so me and my daughter don't really do a movie night on a saturday night and we watch things together and I something that I did. That. <laughs> ah, right, yeah. And um, now something I have seen on Netflix, which I found intriguing. They were quite short films, or not films, like uh, not even a series. It's black, called Black Mirror. Yes. Oh, so good. Yeah, and awesome. that was quite intriguing. Yeah, some of them a bit strange, but some mm, of them yeah. really captivated the imagination. I quite enjoyed those. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of those which are amazing. Um, yeah. A couple of the Makes think. Some of them are a bit like not as enjoyable but I think it's all pretty good isn't it it's all yeah. relatively if you like enjoyable. true crime there's some good true crime documentaries on um, Netflix some really good right. ones yeah 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 excellent oh, I, oh something I did watch uh, actually you, um, oh what was it uh, oh what's the name of the guy who got put in prison he had the all the lions all the animals oh the tiger king yeah the tiger that's it yeah yeah, yeah I, I did see that because they did a follow-up documentary, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. they did a second series of it, didn't they? I haven't seen yeah, that's series. right. Yeah, that's that's all quite intriguing. I, I did watch that. Yeah, that's a good one. People, people <laughs> are strange, mate. People are strange. Oh, absolutely. Um, Stephanie Evans, last question then. Okay. Where would you like to be in five years' time? World champion. Easy. Of? Easy question. Any, any particular company or just... Going to take them all, dominate, be the first woman to. to uh, all. <laughs> um, I think my sights are firmly set on Bellator. I think that's okay. that's where um I'd like to go. Obviously, like, is that just because you want the Liam McCall fight? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> they they they've they done some good things with their women. It's it, particularly their European women. In the they last have, yeah. Years, they've really um, put a lot of focus on Bellator Europe in the last couple of years. It's well and their one forty-five division, and really, really, they've put a lot of focus on it, and and I like that, you know. Yeah, I don't think you'll have difficulty finding a fight if you can get to get your foot in the door in Bellator. There's plenty yeah. of uh, there's plenty of girls to go and uh, have a have a brawl with. Um, <laughs> yeah. Steph, as soon as you get um, a fight sorted. Uh, let me know and we'll get you back on in it for a quick chat and we can have a chat about your fight and whatnot. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to get it sorted sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, I wish, wish you luck with that because Thank I get the impression you. that it's been a frustrating a frustrating little part of the journey. But it's only a small part of the journey and I'm yeah. sure it'll work out for you. Um, thank yeah. you so much for your time. Really enjoyed having a chat. Thank you. Good luck, Steph. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Stephanie Evans there. Good. That was good stuff, man. Really enjoyed that. It was a fun chat. Um, yeah, yeah. Very easy to get on with. Yeah, it's just because Welsh, mate. Welsh. Is, uh, <laughs> is that what it is? We talk to anyone. <laughs> um, so Ben will be with us in a second. 
Um, just adjust your camera to change the overlay. Um, but just in while we wait for Ben, all right, let's speak of the devil. Just as I was about to do some small talk, the man himself joined. Here he is. Uh, Mr. Ben Doherty, our resident boxing pundit, author, trainer, the whole deal. Uh, got a new book out, Ben. New book out. Come on, get it out. Yeah, cool. Well, do you want a quick plug? I've got, I do happen to have yes. a handy there. Oh, look this, at that. This is, um, it's slightly, it's weird, you know, because it's it's like a mirror image, isn't it? The, the orientation on these screens. Yeah, it comes so out. I naturally right, think yeah. I need to put it this way and it goes the other way. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not getting used to that. But this is the first ever biography of the legendary Wilfred Benitez. It is entitled The Fifth King, The Rise and Fall of Wilfred Benitez. Um, seems to be doing quite well straight off the bat. I've had messages from Puerto Rico and stuff. Um, so it's quite exciting. Um, I hope I've done him justice. For anyone who doesn't know, he was the youngest world champion in boxing history at 17 and a half when he beat Antonio Cervantes wow. in March of 1976. Um, he he was like a prodigious talent who achieved an awful lot despite uh, questionable work ethics in training. Um, but uh, And then fell quite quickly. Like Michael Alagile, who I know you've had on the podcast before, yes. um, referred to it as the fall of Icarus. It was you know, kind of almost like Greek myth- mythologically, you know, a kind of decline. Uh, yeah, so that is that's available. It's available in paperback, uh, as I'm holding. It's available on Kindle just to, to read on your devices, and it's also, as we speak, that a hardcover version is is publishing in the next several hours for people who. It's nine ninety nine as a paperback, six ninety nine on Kindle, and the hardback will be fifteen ninety nine for people who prefer a, the, the more the grandiosity of a of a hardcover book. Indeed, I love it. I've um, I've just dropped the link in the comments of uh, Facebook and YouTube, and I'll also put it in the description of the episode uh, for people to have a little uh, a little look and a click because um, I feel like uh, there's uh, something of interest to people. Um, and it sounds like a really interesting story. In fairness, as well, um, seventeen and a half is a wild age to be a world champion. Yes, particularly in that era of the mid-70s. I mean, it wasn't quite unilateral world championships, even at that point. They had the WBA and the WBC thing going on. But they really, there was only ever two world champions at any given weight in those days. And, you know, there really it really was more of an elite sort of landscape. And um, you, what you uh, got to bear in mind, too, is he turned professional at 15, um, just 10 weeks after his 15th birthday. At the age of 13, he was boxing senior world-class amateurs and he was beating some of them or extending them, you know, at the age of 13, which just seems unbelievable, really. But, you know, it's it, it's documented and it's a matter of fact. And there is footage on YouTube of Wilfred Benitez at, at 14 um, boxing a world-ranked Canadian who's 19 and winning, you know. Unbelievable. It's, um, do you know, it does amaze me, uh, Ben, that people still don't understand the difference between... Uh, autobiography and biography, though. I saw yeah. your post the other day yeah, and I read yeah. that, and I just, I don't know, what can you do with that? There's no, nothing you can do with it. Like, yeah, people saying, I don't see how this can be a genuine autobiography because Wilfred Benitez is in a really bad way, and I don't think he can even remember his life story. And you know, obviously, I've written a book about him, and people write books about dead people. If you, if I were to write a book about Napoleon, which I may do at some point, is anyone going to say, Well, how did Napoleon possibly, you know, sign off on any of this? Yeah. Bizarre, isn't it? Really bizarre. Um, ben, we did have some boxing last night, though, and uh, some a return of, uh, of the very popular uh, Ryan Garcia. Yes, and, yes. Uh, of course, uh, Triple G fought as well. Um, yeah. If you don't mind, I'd like to start with Ryan Garcia because 
uh, he is an incredibly popular, uh, not just boxer, but personality now. Like yeah. he's got a huge following on uh, social media and you know all the all the usual stuff. He's very popular. Um, I have seen a few people in probably in you know the time he's been out questioning whether he's still got the the drive and the, the has he been distracted yeah. by the sort of celebrity lifestyle. You see him quite often on YouTube videos with like. Jake Paul and people like this. Yeah. Um, what was his first fight in 15 months like? You know what? He got 12 rounds in, which he's never done 12 rounds before. So that was useful to him. It was probably frustrating at times for Garcia um, because the, the African fella, um, Emmanuel Tago, um, was somewhat survival-minded, to be honest with you. I mean, he was... I like movement and counter-punching, but I don't think he took a backward step. And Sorry, I don't think he took a forward step in the first mm. five rounds. You know, he was looking for... He wasn't really fighting to win. Um, I don't know if this happens in MMA. I'd be interested to hear from Danny. In, in boxing, we know about people who fight with no offensive plan in mind, but they, they fight their whole campaign is to be slippery and to survive and to mess someone around. Journeymen and professional opponents do it all the time. But also... Other fighters who are not journeymen also do it if they get into a fight where they feel they can't win. I mean, you give you a, a, a famous example, David Hay with uh, Vladimir Klitschko. He figured out early on, he tasted the power early on, saw the, you know, felt the size of the guy in the real situation and decided he couldn't win and just went on his bike for, you know, for the certainly for the last nine rounds with, you know, not trying to win anymore, but simply going the distance at all costs. You got, I remember Joe Bugner when he went the distance with uh, Muhammad Ali in 1975 in Kuala Lumpur. He was criticised for not trying and having too much energy left at the end of the 15 rounds because apparently he was out swimming in, in his pool in, uh, later on, and some journalist mentioned he just seemed to be, you know, inordinate, you know, inordinately full of beans after you know what they went to the challenge. He didn't leave it all in the ring. And I remember Henry Cooper years later on a, on a some kind of chat, sports chat show saying to Cooper, sorry, saying to Bugner, I could have gone the distance twice like with Ali, like doing it like you did, risking nothing, trying nothing. Because sometimes you can get you can get knocked out when you're trying to win a fight. Whereas if you're only if you're skilled and experienced, if your only agenda is to stay in there to the bell, you might be able to do that with a certain you know no risk strategy. And that's kind of what we saw from Tago last night. And you know, and I think I think he would have liked to have a you know like a highlight reel KO Garcia to, to announce his return after that little hiatus that you alluded to. But at the end of the day, it is useful for him to go 12 rounds. You know, he got a workout, he got a run, and it's onwards and upwards. He's he's an exciting uh, young fighter. He's got, got an amazing hand speed, and he, he's a very good offensive fighter. Defensively, he still has frailties, and technically, he still has some things to improve on. But I think that's what makes him exciting. Like, you know, when you saw his previous fight with Luke Campbell back in January of uh, 2021, um, when he was decked himself in the second round and then came and, and, and closed the show with a crippling body shot in the fifth. Mm. You know, I, th I think the fact that he isn't perfect technically is what makes him exciting, but, you know, he's definitely, it's good to have him around. What do you think's next for, for uh, Ryan Garcia? I, well, he didn't say anything because uh, after the fight, he said, I used to be big on the call-outs, but I've decided to leave things to my manager on my team. And he also said, I don't want to tease boxing fans by putting things out there that if we don't know, we can make them. He says, mm. I don't want to do that to you guys, the audience, the fans. So so it's, it's hard for me to say, to be to honest with you at this stage. I mean, it would be good. You know, I mean, I think what we want to see is the top fights in the division, right? We know yeah. that um, Cambosis will fight Devin Haney soon, which is 
which is a great fight, and that is for the genuine lightweight championship of the world. There isn't really any contest to that that's worth taking seriously. Underneath that, you're going to have what I would say the contenders, whatever whatever sanctioning body recognition some of them may have, whatever weight. You know, Javonta Davis, who's, who's a massive talent, a dangerous fighter. You know, uh, Lomachenko, obviously still very much there and looking to become a world champion again. So I, I'd like to see all these guys face off. You know, Haney, Cambosis, Lomachenko, Garcia, and Tank Davis. And also, Teofimo Lopez, if he doesn't decide to step up to 140 pounds, which he may do, is obviously still a very you know live dog in that division too. So I think a lot of people have said over the past couple of years that the lightweight class is probably the most exciting if they can put the fights together. So I'd just like to see Ryan Garcia have a couple more fights to you know to, until he's ready for that for that situation where he's in like a, a, an elite world class fight. There's um like the names you just mentioned in that division. There's some real real fascinating fights within that division. Um, yeah. And look, we we've talked about it many times about um, boxers avoiding each other until they're past their peak, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've had that conversation, but like if those guys don't avoid each other, we you know we could be in for a special you know a year or two with, really in terms of the fights and uh, well, these... those they're, they're all fighting each other. It's you know this, that, that's how careers and legacies are defined. I mean, I understand that. You've got to look at the bottom line and you know the money and all that, the risk reward is it that's important. But that is how you make history and that's how you make a legacy, you know, but by guys fighting each other. Obviously, the most famous example in the colour television era is, is the Hagler, Leonard Duran, uh uh Hearns scenario, you know, that, that kind of quadrant that produced mm. all that number of great fights. They fought nine times off the top of my head. There were nine fights between the four of them. And, uh, you know, and it was era-defining. They made millions and millions of dollars. And, and it, they also they created a period of boxing history that will never be forgotten. You know, and I think the lightweights, we do have other four king-type scenarios in boxing. And we've had them over the years. But what, what the modern industry has lacked is the ability to deliver those fights for whatever reason. Um, so, because, you know, if, if, if to be honest with you, if Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hearns, Roberto Duran and Sugar Elena were around today, I can only assume they'd have been kept apart for various reasons as stumbling blocks. I don't think them as individuals would have overruled the industry forces, you know, because that just, you are in the area you're in and you're kind of at the mercy of that era to a degree and what happens. You know, I, I know people can make decisions. and people, Some people blame Floyd, blame Floyd Mayweather for it, you know. They say that he kind of set that blueprint more about risk-reward and that kind of micromanagement of a career, which some people say we've seen with Canelo, you know, and other fighters. Whereas, so... It seems reasonable to assume if Hagler, Leonard Hearns, and Duran were around today, they wouldn't have fought as many times as they did, and they wouldn't have all fought each other. There would have been there would have been some gaps in that particular jigsaw, you know. Mm. And uh, and consequently, if if that hadn't happened, they wouldn't be as great and as fondly remembered as they are today, would they? No, no, absolutely not. Um, another big fight last night, which I know, uh, Danny, you watched this one, I think, as well, didn't you? Um, I watched the... uh, highlights of it. I did watch right, okay. every single bit of it. Yeah. So we had uh, Triple G for uh, uh, Murata to unify the middleweight middleweight division. Yeah, we didn't unify it entirely. And see, this is the misconception. He's got he he, he had a, the WBF title and he won the WBA title. There's still other titles knocking about, like the WBC title, the WBO title, middleweight title. But, and that's what again they call you the unified. Unified in my era that I grew up in used to mean you were, you were it. Undisputed. You it was the same thing. Now it just means well, I've unified two belts. 
I think it's important to make the distinction. But yeah, he, he picked up another belt, belt, so now he has half of it. He has half of the four credible sanctioned body belts after yesterday. Yeah. So yeah, in my eyes, if you unify him, you have all the belts, don't you? No. Uh, well, he didn't do that. He hasn't done that no, yet. There's still right. belts knocking around. Okay. You so, probably win one of them if you if you play your cards right in the next <laughs> <six> months. <laughs> yeah. There we go. But what was his performance like? Um, Glock, you know what? And Technically speaking, in England, it was in the afternoon. It was kind of cool because I was on my way to a white collar show where I was refereeing yesterday in Ilford. And I was going on the train and I was watching the Golovkin fight because uh, I got the zone on the phone as I made as I made my way over there. And uh, yeah, Golovkin, he looks to... The writing is on the wall for Golovkin, I think. And it's not... It's not rocket science. He's 40 years old. I mean, he's, no doubt he's a clean liver and he's a phenomenal fighter and a phenomenal athlete. And he looked fantastic on the scales. Absolutely. He looked looked about 25, his body, on the scales. But that's not... The aesthetic is different to the reality after the, the wear and tear of a tough elite-level career. And don't forget, he had uh, a couple of hundred amateur fights plus as well. You know, and he's 40 years old. So... It looked to me, I thought this was going to be the night like, or the afternoon uh, that the well ran dry because uh, initially he's definitely gotten slower and easier to hit. He was never a defensive wizard, but he's gotten easier to hit. Mm. And Morota, Mar- Mar- uh, who is a strong guy, and his game plan was to come forward and throw throw punches at Golovkin and be too busy for him and to try and, to try and suffocate him with pressure, you know even though that's mostly Golovkin's kind of stock in trade traditionally with fighters. And it looked like he was going to pull it off at one point. I mean, after three or four rounds, I remember thinking if, if Morata can keep this up and he seemed to be absorbing Golovkin's shots with, with not any undue problems, I thought, you know what, Golovkin could fold here. You know, around about the 10th, 11th, we, we could see him capitulate. And uh, a lot of people were very distressed and, and we were talking about it as the fight was ongoing on social media and people were saying, you know, he wants to forget about Canelo, forget about a third fight with Canelo. You know what, he's, he's getting beat. He's going to... And then the thing is, Golovkin still exhibited... I think his decline is there for all to see. The writing's on the mm. wall and the wear and tear yeah. is there for all to see. But he was he's still competing at elite level. Like you say, he's still, he's still collected another world championship belt. So it was a unification of sorts. And one thing that hasn't deserted him is that killer instinct and, and that, that kind of hallmark of a champion that he's able to find a way to win when he, when he was in some relative adversity. You know, uh, there was a turning point, I believe it was the eighth round when he caught him, the guy, I think it was with a big right hand. And you could see suddenly he, he, he kind of broken through it and his shots were suddenly having an impact where they previously didn't seem to have an impact. You know, and then what, Golovkin's always been a ruthless finisher and, he, and he, he stuck it on him in the ninth and he closed the show. So... But for me, I, I, I think I would be pessimistic about it, it, how competitive he could be with Canelo at this stage. And I think most people who saw it yesterday seem to feel the same way. One one noticeable thing was the body shots really seemed to bother him. You know, that, that was where the resistance seems to have diminished a little bit. And, uh, I, OK, so he won yesterday and that, that's fantastic. And I, I'd like to see him... I don't know what his financial circumstances are, but I'd quite like to see him retire on that basis. I don't think... I wouldn't like to see him lose to Canelo in 2022 um, I think he won the first fight clearly I think the second fight he probably deservedly nicked it but you can see the argument for Alvarez in the second fight and I think Alvarez performed a whole lot better in the second fight in 2018 I just think if, if Golovkin couldn't get his hand raised 
four or five years ago against Canelo. Because let's face it, you're, you're, you're facing an uphill struggle when you fight Canelo. You're not just fighting a fantastic fighter, which he undoubtedly is. You're fighting the system and you're fighting the cult of Saul Canelo Alvarez. You are. And you're yeah. fighting the industry and the politics and that whole sacred cow kind of platform that he has. And I think Golovkin, with the decline he was clearly exhibiting yesterday, some people say it could just be ring rust, but it's... I think it's a different gig when you when you when you're off the age he is. I mean, you know, fighters do last longer today than they used to. That's one the one argument I will accept in terms of any progression. Other than that, I don't really accept we've seen one certainly not in the last fifty years. But I do think they're lasting longer. It might be because they have less fights. It might be because of the risk reward and the more careful management of careers that I alluded to earlier. It could, of course, be you know good old fashioned peds. Uh, I say old fashioned with due irony. Okay, but, um, it could it could be performance enhancing drugs too. I don't, I don't know. There's various factors where fighters. It could be evolution. It, it, might, it might be that kind of evolution of, of the human species. But um, I would like to see him call it quits. Inevitably, he won't. And I think the, the industry probably will drive towards a third fight with, with Alvarez. Um, but I just don't. I just can't see Golovkin winning it at this stage. Yeah, age catches up with everyone. Uh, we've talked about yeah. this before, and yeah. it would be. There's no shame in him walking away now. And um, we talked about this with who was it, Amir Khan the other the other week. Yeah, you know, yeah. like there's no shame with saying, Do you know what, I'm not as good as I used to be. I've had an amazing career. I'm gonna walk. And, and in this and case, even... he gets to walk away with a, a title victory. And even more pertinently, that's what I was going to say. I think I'd like to see Kel Brook retire on on the high of what he just achieved yes. by beating Amir Khan. And that's a similar situation. I think having that ability to get out when you know that things that you've lost a few steps, but you still um, retired on on a, on, a, on a triumph, you know, on a victory. I think that'd be a great time to retire. But as I say, I don't know. I mean, Golovkin must have made a lot of money and he strikes me as the kind of guy who would invest it wisely and would handle it wisely. But you never know what people's financial circumstances are and what they feel they need to do and why yeah. they need to keep fighting. And as as we also know, sometimes it's not really about the money. It's more about that sense of, um, you know, being a boxer is the ultimate definition of who they are and they don't want to leave it for so many reasons because they're not really sure sometimes who they are outside of that ring or outside of that gym. And they want to prolong that kind of um, that extraordinary sort of heightened existence that they get when they're a professional fighter at that level for as long as they possibly can. Indeed, mate. Um, right, just before we let you go, Ben, because we've got UFC uh, 278 to talk about from last night, I wanted to yeah. ask you, um, I saw Eddie Hearn uh, mentioned that the UK could be an option for Joshua versus Usyk rematch. Do you think that's likely to be in the UK? I just didn't see it. Particularly so close to Fury and they talk. Well, see, I heard July twenty third was a projected date, which okay. has got a fair bit of distance between April twenty third and July twenty third. Yeah, so I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, I, I heard Saudi Arabia as well. You know, yeah. was supposedly a likely venue, but I don't see why it wouldn't be or, or couldn't be in the UK again, like it was the first time. And I don't, I don't think there's the clash with too much with Fury White because you know what's that April. May, June, July. It's three it's months clear. Three, four months, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, it, so. should, it, it, it should be viable. I mean, I think we just need to see. They just need to get that done and dusted and so the guys can train for it. I mean, I know, I'm aware that Usyk looks like he is able to step away 
from the crisis going on in his homeland in order to train for it. I think that's what he said he's going to do. And that and everybody's okay with that. I mean, somebody told me it's actually nothing to do with boxing. Apparently, if you have more than two children or if you have two children or more, you don't have to fight or something. Somebody said, and apparently that applies to Usyk. I heard something interesting today, by the way. Someone said that Usyk has lost 10 kilos in mess since the Ukrainian-Russia right. situation. That could have some um, impact, couldn't it? Yes, I think so. Um, but again, the other thing with that is, like we talked about uh, previously after the first fight, about uh, maybe Anthony Joshua changing up his tactics slightly. Yeah. That would potentially change his tactics. If if you assume that he's going to change his tactics from the first fight, as we <laughs> discussed, would that then mean that he might change his tactics again if... Um, Usyk is coming in considerably smaller than what he was previously. You you might think so, yeah. I think you you might think that he would look to to you know take advantage of a of a, of a size kind of advantage and try to be more physical with him. If he was only going to be, I mean, I guess that would make him about two hundred pounds, wouldn't it? If, if mm. but you know, I mean, obviously, even if he has lost weight recently, it's not like he can't put it back on. It's not like he doesn't. No have an understanding of that of that kind of nutrition, I'm sure, and, and that process. And I'm sure he has good people around him as well, you know. So but maybe it's a red herring. I just thought someone tagged me out on Twitter and said his wife says he's lost 10 kilos, which, you know, I thought it was interesting at least. I don't think people have, uh, outside of his family and close friends, no one's really seen him, have they, um, in the no. last month or two. So no, I suppose there's no way to really know until we see. Verify it um, Lee Salby retired, uh, Ben, lastly. Um, just talk a little bit about his career and his decision to decision to retire. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great decision from Lee. And I, I think it was heartwarming to see uh, that he is financially secure, apparently. You know, that, uh, I mean, that Tony Borg, his trainer, told me that just before Lee made the announcement. He said that he's invested his money wisely and he doesn't need to box. Lee reiterated that in his uh, retirement speech on social media. And I think you know when you see um, when you see a fighter like that who's won everything. I mean, he won British and Commonwealth titles. I, I believe he was. Uh, I should know, shouldn't I? But that's what you get me here for. But I believe he was European champion as well. I'm pretty sure. And he did win, um, you know, the, the the IBF featherweight championship of the world and made defenses of it. He. Um, it was one step too far. His fight in, in Buenos Aires at Luna Park against you know the, the Gustavo Lemos, but that, it was one of the things that he was he was sensible enough to take that on board and say, you know what, I can't. It's hard to hang with some of these young guns these days, you know. And I, I've had a good run, and uh, to see him ride off into the sunset, and I hope that's permanent, you know, with with his health and wealth intact and a loving family. I think that's a that's a good story because too often, the thing about the Benitez book that I showed you at the start of the show, I mean, he is one of a number of fighters who ended up in a bad way, you know, like a, <clears throat> I think I described it as a, as a, as a, as a fog of cerebrally diminished penury, you know, mm. um, and that happens all too often. And the fact Lee has got his money and, and, and he's, he's still relatively young and everything. I and mean, I, I just wish him every success in the next chapter. He's, he's also a very nice nice guy. And um, Indeed. I, I hope That's his boxing life is happy. The thing is with boxing, isn't there? There's so many sad stories about fighters yeah. going in, you know, staying in there too long and, and having their health hugely impacted. Um, Jerry Corey was one that yeah. that I had a little look into to his career. You know, coming back from retirement, one I think one time about five years apart, and another one was like nine years apart, and it was a sad state of affairs because I think he had 
neurological issues on one of his comebacks and, and yeah. still through financial pressures had to make a comeback. Um, you know, he had his life was hugely shortened, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's his brother too. So him and his brother both ended up in a nursing home and they were well out of it. Yeah. I mean Yeah. It's it, it needs it needs discussing more and we put into the forefront. I think boxing likes to brush it under the carpet a little bit because no one likes to look at it too long. No one like you're a bit like staring at the uh, the disabled person in the wheelchair in the corner of a room kind of thing, you know. Um mm. I think there's something um we need to look into that. The, the thing is, right, th there's a friend of mine called um Gary Turner who does a lot of studies into neurological issues in, in boxing and, and, and traumatic yeah, so brain the, injury. Uh, the K1 fighter, Gary Turner. Yeah, you done K1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, I competed on the jiu-jitsu circuit with him back many years ago. He's an interesting fella and he's a very passionate guy who does an awful lot of study. He's a bit of a boffin. I don't agree with everything yeah. he says, but the thing is, here's what it comes down to in closing because I know you've got to move on. Gary suggests various safety measures which I feel would ultimately make boxing about as commercially viable as a prostitute who specialises in hugs. I think we have to accept that there is that kind of, um, you know, that there is that in inherent danger and collateral damage that, that is going to happen. But but no doubt we can address it much better. And not just that, but, you know, but the aftercare in general with, with fighters mm -hmm. and, the, and the abilities to help them get, have every opportunity to have, to have a happy post-boxing life in retirement. Yeah, just an interesting thing to just to note on the, the whole thing. I don't always agree with Gary on a lot of subjects, um, but I know his heart is always in a good place, yeah, which is yeah, yeah. what you're saying that he's researching into. But I think he's all for transgender to be competing. I, I know he's... He was, yeah. I, he's, he, he said that. He's not afraid to swim against the stream, Gary. He's said yeah, that a few yeah. times. Like the, all the transphobic comments on this post, when I've when I've posted something, not me specifically, but if I if I give them the, the bait, they, they jump on yeah. it. And then he'll be yeah. like, a lot of transphobia here, a lot of ignorance, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Indeed. Um, right, Ben, we'll let you go there, mate, because we've got uh, lots to discuss. I'm sure that we will see you very, very soon. Um, is it next week where we have a, a big weekend of boxing, or is it, I think it's the, not quite... you got Connor Ben next week, yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah. We may see you next week, mate. More than likely. <laughs> if you're free. Take it yeah. easy, my friend. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Ben. Always a pleasure. Cheers, Ben. Ben Doherty, what a legend! And I just I love it. always enjoy it. So um, we're a little bit a little bit stuck for time now, mate. So adjust your camera, get ready to talk. Oh. It's time to uh, discuss UFC two seven three. Um, so we are we'll go like kind of fight by fight, but we'll keep it very we'll keep it brief for each yeah. one. Um, no I want to talk about um, what on the early prelims which was Alexi Alonyek defeating Jared Vandera. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, though, but it was, oh, um, was it his, 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 his submission again. Yeah, so, scarf, scarf choke. Oh, mate. Do you know, right, the way he finishes him, he's almost like hugging his face into his chest yeah. bone and he just can't breathe. It's, it's, yeah. And he's so big and strong. Yeah, just I mean, quite, um... there, there, there's obviously technique involved in what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, I know, I know it's a bit this, more complex. There, there, that, there's, but... Uh, but for him to pull it off against you know, athletes that are big and strong themselves and obviously have know-how how to try to at least avoid being submitted in these situations, but he must be incredibly strong as well. Um, you know, along with any technique takes a certain application of physicality as well and energy, and he just must be incredibly strong. Um, that's the only thing I can put it down to. To finish people time time again with 
his own signature move. I suppose you can only say it's his own signature move because he keeps pulling off these strange, smothering orientated uh, submissions. But, you know, well done to him to be pulling it off like he keeps on doing. It keeps him relevant, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then uh, on the prelims, um, Ian Gary defeated Darian yeah, Weeks by unanimous decision. Uh, I thought this was a really good fight. I thought this was a good test for Ian Gary. I thought he, yep. you know, he won it quite comfortably, but I thought Darian Weeks gave him a bit of a test. And Yes, he did. I even, I even thought that Ian Gary got a little bit frustrated at one point. Um, they couldn't quite put him away. I think in the yeah. early round, Ian Gary just struggled a little bit to find, get his range quite right. Um, yeah, uh, Darian Weeks is a, is a powerful set dude. You know, he, he's quite a physical guy. He can clearly bang hard. You can see that with how he throws mechanical punches. Um, you know, uh, but he wasn't awkward for Gary in terms of a huge skill set, a diverse skill set. You know, mm -hmm. he, he don't shoot in at different levels. He won't encompassing many kicks or knees. You know, he was coming at Gary mainly with hands and trying to shut him down. Um, so, yeah, I think it was an appropriate step up and not too much for him. And I think, look, Ian Gary being as young as he is, I, I'd like to think that UFC will do the, the best job in giving him small increments. Um, There's no uh, need to uh, rush uh, it, is there? No, 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 not to, not to rush him. Um, I was impressed with what I saw. Um, it was nice to show see him show some maturities there. He sat behind a jab. Um, once the pace started to settle in the fight, he stuck, stuck behind his jab and started working his physical physicality uh, advantages, such as being taller, longer, quicker. Um, I liked it that he did that and didn't get too trade-orientated because you're right, he was a little frustrated that he perhaps couldn't pull off a, a win. You know, he, he, he would do like a jumping kick up at the head and was trying to, you know, call something to put the fight away. Um, I would worry he'd go chasing it too much with his hands and maybe trade in the pocket too too long. And that would have brought Darian Weeks possibly straight back into the mix of things. But he stuck behind his jab. He kept the distance, kept the range. And um, that was a good thing to see. Now that's either his corner crew perhaps holding him back from overtrading because young people like that, they do want to make an impression. You know, their testosterone is running real super high. And they want to get in there and want to make impressions and want to make impressions uh, thick and fast. But he is just 24 years of age. And I would like to see them, you know, pull his chin down a little bit and uh, not literally in the literal sense, but in terms of stopping running from the gates and running off on his own trajectory sort of thing. I think they should hold him back a little bit and uh, incrementally give him these opponents and give him a chance to grow and mature. Because um, I still think physically, you know, he's still very, very slender. He's like a puppy that, gets to that certain age and they get all leggy. You know, he yeah. looks a little, I think he can fill out a little bit more. Um, there's definitely a future in the kid without a doubt. He's definitely got something about him. And yeah, we'll just keep on watching him and monitoring him and um, enjoy watching his career unfold. But I, I would say in the next three to four years is when he'll start making an impact if he progresses as he's continuing to progress. So all looking good so far. Indeed. Uh, then we had, so... I haven't seen this one, so I'll leave you to briefly just discuss it. But we had Mark Madsen defeating Vince Pichel by unanimous decision. Yeah, really good fight. Um, Pichel had some difficulties being receiving on, on, on a shin kick by Madsen. Madsen could go in with the kicks a little bit more, being that he's such a world-class caliber Olympian wrestler, in fact. Uh, 
but Pichel is a bag of tricks and um, it wasn't straight running for Mark Madsen. He had some difficulties uh, in the grappling exchanges and indeed uh, Pichel was created from the feet as well. A really close contested bout. Um, it almost could have gone two ways going into that final round, but uh, Madsen ended up securing a takedown and kind of tactically took the fight. He did what he should have done. He listened to his corner. I was quite interested to hear what the corner man had to say in that last break before going out for that final round. They said, look, just get the takedown. They didn't want him to overtrade or anything. They wanted to get it where his strengths was, and he was able to get it there. Um, it was frustrating for Pichel. Pichel really performed well, um, largely coming to the twilight years of his career now, but still proving in that fight that you know, he's up there to compete with these people trying to move up the ranks. And uh, Mark Madsen is really trying to move up the ranks. Um, not, not the youngest of guy to be moving up the ranks, but nevertheless, he's doing it and he's doing it really, really well. He looks very, very solid. His striking's much improved. Um, along with that wrestling credential, he could be a difficult person to beat for anyone. Interesting. Um, Mackenzie Dern defeated Tisha Torres via a split decision. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I loved this fight. Um, uh, because he turns always seems to be improving her striking. And I think we saw that this time around. We know Torres is a bit of an unconventional striker, but a very, very effective one with extremely strong, thick set legs, very, very strong legs. Dexterous, likes to use um, you know di different angled kicks, uh, different type of kicks, such as side kicks, as well as teeps and round kicks. Um, so not an easy person to, to be striking against. And also Torres showed really, really good footwork, really good evasive footwork, being that she was always going to give away some some length and, and, and range and height to Mackenzie Dern. She would use this side-to-side -side lateral uh, movement and then punch down the centre line and then come break back off at an angle again. It worked really well in the first round. But as the fight progressed, Mackenzie Dern started coming up with creative ways trying to steer it into the realm of where she was more comfortable with the grappling by jumping guard, something that you just don't see very often in modern day MMA. And this is the beauty of um, the women's division. You know, they can get away with doing things like this. They ground a pound. It's not as brutal as it is in the men's division, being that they're not so physically strong in the upper body. They can take these tactical um, strategical risks of jumping guard. And in this unusual circumstance, it was the right thing to do. And indeed, she very, very nearly pulled off the submission on, on uh, Torres. But Torres showed great awareness in the submission grappling areas and again, showing improvements as donors with the striking. She was able to fight off um, those submissions. And uh, some of them looked like they could have got really nasty. But yeah, Mackenzie Jones pulls off the decision. Um, yeah, it was one of those ones that could perhaps have gone either way, but I'm really happy for Mackenzie Dern. I'm largely becoming a fan of her because um, not only is she really very, very well-skilled in one particular area, but she looks like she's really pushing to become well-skilled in the other areas. And you know, she's a handful for anyone in any area where that fight might go now, as far as I'm concerned. Good stuff, mate. Uh, Kazmat Chimaev, we touched on this a little bit earlier, so um, we'll just kind of finish off on this because I know uh, can, you want to talk yeah, about Yeah, can it. I just uh, on. touch on Aspen Ladd as well um, yeah. and Pennington? That was another amazing female fight. Um, really, really good to watch. Um, it was almost like a Thai boxing stylist with Ladd um, and then almost a boxing orientated stylist with Pennington. Pennington mm -hmm. using lots of head movement, getting close in the pocket, coming forward, trying some lovely combinations. Ladd was standing more tall, perhaps 
trying to get behind and kicks a little bit more, but had a centralised head and was getting hit early. But she started to put in more head movement in the second and third round and led looked like she was finding ways to perhaps ruffle the feathers of Pennington. But Pennington, she, she, she was just great. She was just on form. I feel a little bit sorry for Aspen Ladd because I think that might be her second loss in a row or... I'm not, I'm not too sure. What, I think, think she may have lost the, uh, the last one out. I can't can't remember off the top of my head. But she's definitely showing some improvements there as well. But Pennington, what, what great performance that was. But it's one to watch if people haven't watched it. It's a, a real banger, a real stand-up fest, a, a good one to watch. But, yeah, Pennington got the decision. So, you know, well done to her. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, yeah Jemayev uh, defeated Gilbert Burns by a unanimous decision. Uh, Gilbert Burns obviously ranked two in the division. Shamaya yeah. ranked 11 before the fight. Um, yeah. Like, where did you see this one and how did you see it? Because, um, yeah. Um, I, I can't help but be impressed by. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I was impressed, but like I, I sort of touched on it anyways. Um, I did feel that there were some. Some things happening within that bout numerous times that showed, you know, he's human. And the thing is, when we're getting caught up on hype, we start to think people are untouchable. Um, he showed that, you know, he has got vulnerabilities there. He is just a walking human with two arms, two legs and a head that can all get hit and hurt. Uh, but that said, it's still amazing what he's achieving in such small amount of experience. And when we talk about experience, I'm not even talking about just experience in how many fights he's had, but how long because he's dismantled everyone in such quick yeah. succession and he really hasn't had much cage time. And like I touched on before, I feel like this type of fight, this type of experience where he's got three solid, really competitive rounds. So when I say competitive, someone is there to win and beat him and not just fall down and, 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 and get defeated so easily where there seems to be such an increment of skill. You know, Gilbert Burns had to match him um, with striking, with his wrestling and grappling. It was closely contested in all areas. Um, but yeah, Kazmat, he's just yeah, incredible, really, really incredible performance. But also, look, hats off to Gilbert Burns. You know, when you're facing someone that's got so much trajectory and so much hype around them, it must make doubts creep in. And I think he did look a little tense at times, Gilbert Burns, and where some of those doubts were like, you know, can I actually do it against this guy? But I think he actually gained in confidence when he started cracking. Uh, uh, Charm F with some shots and, and seated him at one point. I think he began to believe in himself. Um, yeah, it was good to see for both of them. Um, respect and hats off to both. One thing about Gilbert Burns I've always criticised is I feel that his gas tank wasn't all that. But look, you know, Charm F, as we always keep on hearing about in training, that his cardio is incredible. We just haven't got to see it because no one can last the length of time to see it. Well, we got to see that not only is he fit, but so was Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns yeah. really put on an incredible performance of work ethic. He really worked every minute of those three rounds. And so total respects for him and respects to both, to be honest. Yeah, it was incredible. It was a really thoroughly enjoyable, just incredible fight all around. But I just, you cannot take away from Kazmat Chumayev. Like he just, whoever they've put in front of him, He's yeah. just dispatched them. Whether yeah. you know it, it was high, obviously it was always you know when you fight the top five in the world, it's rare that you're going to get a you know a, a one sided finish in you know seconds. But it mm. is rare. Happens occasionally rare. by fluke, yeah. but you know it's it's rare. And um, Chamayev, I thought yes, you, you know you can see um, 
some holes maybe in his game or things that he needs to work on. But also you can you can see that he's got a lot more to offer than what he's already shown. And I think yeah. he's going to be a problem for him, for whoever uh, he comes up against. Yes, he is. I think uh, him versus Colby Covington makes all the sense in the world. Um, if Colby Covington tries to wrestle him, I think he could be in trouble. I've got to say that. I do think that that is I, uh, not... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think they'll largely cancel each other out in the wrestling. Um, they're both absolute cardio machines, so that'll be interesting. Um, I think this will largely be fought out on the feet. Um, and, and this is the thing that, that Kazmat could lose with, is that his head was very, very central. He didn't show much head movement. He was just showing good awareness of blocking with his arms for the best part, but not always when he was walking forward. Sometimes he walked forwards like he was believing that he was invincible and um, and he nearly come unstuck. I think if he does that against uh, a level of Covington, you could come unstuck. Um, it'll be an interesting bout, but uh, yeah, it's all to play for both of them uh, on that one. It'll be such a hard one to predict a winner. If I was going to be forced to go with one over the other, I'd actually say go for Covington, to be honest. Oh, well, I think well. he might, might might edge it. But it'd be interesting. I'd love to see it. I think that would be the right move, to be honest. I, uh, my only thing is with the differences, it's like small margins, isn't it? And mm. um, I just think that uh, Hazmat's shown that he can. it's going to be very difficult to knock him out. And if the difference is going to be on the feet, yeah, Covington has shown that he, you know, he hasn't got a weak gym by any means, but but like he has been knocked out, and I just think maybe those small little, possibly, yeah. I mean, things. that's uh, something, something that goes in Chimes' favour is it hasn't been in many wars, so he's got a fresh head. Of course, yeah. um, I suppose you know it's a way you can perhaps look at it when you do accumulate shots, not only in the fights but in training, and this is something that people who you know just watch the fights you got to understand that there's many many rounds that go in in preparation. Um, and, and so you're getting a hit a whole lot more than what people are just seeing on fight day. Um, they do accumulate. And, and Chimev uh, is someone that's you're still very, very fresh um, in that terms. And I think that's how he's able to take Gilbert Spurn's um, power. I think that's purely how he took it, is that not only has he got a good chin anyways, and some people just don't have a good chin, clearly got a good chin, but also I think this because he's got a fresh head and he just hasn't been in those tear-ups and in those wars and must be training smart too, I guess. Um, but yeah, let's let's see who gets matched up with him next. I mean, it just gets all the more interesting, doesn't it? It starts making you realise that Chimef can be matched up against all these other options, and they're so so interesting. But I just don't think he's ready for Usman just yet. I think he could be two, possibly three fights away from really challenging. Where I think he, he stands a fifty-fifty chance of beating Usman right now. I think Usman's just too good in in all areas, to be honest. Uh, for Chimef to beat him. Yeah, and I think the one thing which is interesting is like Dana White rarely talks about next fights in his post-White thing. Um, and it's like it's changed. Uh, 100% true. says, I clicked on this link because I saw the lady I feel lied to. She was on on the first hour, my friend. So you missed her. Um, <laughs> and then we had uh, Aljamain Sterling defeated Petty Yan as predicted by me. Uh, by a split decision, yeah. 48-47, 48-47. Did he wrestle screw Petty Yan? Um, 
I will say this so uh, wrestle screwed him. Petyan was defending too hard um, and, and, and over, overcooking it. He was attacking a little too hard and he was defending too hard. What I mean by defending too hard, so if someone shoots in or threatens a shoot, you go break into a sprawl even if it was a faint shoot. Um, he was just overcooking it and, and I think he was largely frustrated by Sterling's footwork approach, the way he was dancing away, almost put to a point of disengaging. I think Petter Yan shouldn't have chased him. I, I, I think he should have, like, made him look bad by running away from him in, in a way where the distance got so big it almost looks like he doesn't want to fight but he kept trying to shut him down I think he should have perhaps just stood in the centre and just said look you know edge towards him but not try and run towards him like he did because it made him overshoot the mark and he gave up his back but look let's stop taking anything away from Sterling I really think that this was part of his game plan I think he knows Petayan is tenacious with to a point that he's almost competing angry. Um, I don't mm. think it actually is. I just think he's such a winner and, and so wants to win and, and got all this energy in him that uh, I think he just believes in himself. But I think that that tenacity almost went against him. You know, the, him chasing down as hard as he did made him vulnerable. Um, but great work from Sterling. He took the back and showed and demonstrated real uh, beautiful control on the back. If I was going to say if anyone uh, deserved the win, I would have nudged it to Petty Yan, really because of the desire to try and put it away. Um, a lot of the time when Sterling had the back, he was faffing around and not really getting a lot off. I mean, OK, a couple of times he was hitting him and trying to elbow him, but not to great effect. And Petty Yan, in, in his own way, was punching and hitting, trying to show aggression, even with his back being taken. So I think in terms of aggression, that would have given it the edge into Petian, in my opinion. But that also said, I think it was a great strategy, some really, really good tactics, and, and Sterling showed some really slick control. And clearly, that's what the judges were looking at, and uh, that's what gave him the edge. Um, Petian did a great job in that third round, uh, making it close in the judges' eye. I mean, it was all on that last round, really. And there were some times where, where I thought, oh, my God, he's going to get taken down again. And he nearly gave his back up. But... Um, Petty has such a tough dude and um, it really, really is super, super fit. Sterling began to fail a little bit, perhaps with the cardio and was unable to secure the back and the takedowns because of, you know, hint to some, some fatigue. Um, and that really impressed me with Yan that he was able to pull off that last round. But look, the, the judges have voiced their they cast their vote on things and they went in favour of Sterling. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I think there's lots of reasons why Sterling could be said to be the winner and indeed he is. Nothing's going to change that. But again, has to go back to your drawing board and perhaps think about approaching um, his tenacity in more strategic or more tactical ways because I felt like that was what let him down really, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um I thought Aljamain Sterling had a pretty good game plan for what, you know. Yeah. Uh, Frustrating to watch. <laughs> um, but you've got to do what's got to be done. Pe um, Aljamain Sterling went in, hated. Everyone was on um, Jan's side. Everyone was yeah. giving uh, Aljamain Sterling grief and, and giving him shit and stuff. So he embraced it. And I thought it was quite clever of him to do so. Because yep. what he did is on in the pre-press conferences is he embraced that he said and did things that he knew was going to you know piss people off and 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 cause these types of reactions, and I thought it was quite clever. And I think Petty Yan 
in a small way, kind of fell for that a little bit. Um, I, I think so. I think so. He got very frustrated in the pre-fight press conference, Petty Yan did, um, only briefly. But I thought he was very... Al Jermaine Sterling was clever uh, outside the ring. Um, and good for him because he's took some unwarranted abuse along the way. Yeah. Um, and then we had Volkanovski defeating the Korean Zombie, uh, 45 seconds of round four. Um, look, this was a pretty one-sided fight. Um, but one, uh, Volkanovski is pound for pound up there alongside Usman as pound for pound best in the world. He is yeah. unreal. Um, he's getting better with each fight. He is getting better. Um, this was it's a weird one because Korean Zombie is so good and he's such a an icon for the sport and beloved for the sport. But I, I think we said briefly when we did our previews this a couple of weeks ago, we never we didn't feel that he had enough to really trouble Volkanovsky. And I do question, I don't know. I just he, he's never four ranked. I just question whether he he was the one that should have got the title shot. But I love him, and I'm glad that he got to go out at the top. I think, I think he retires. To be honest, by his, um, yeah, his post fight interview, um, would have yeah. been nice for him to go out with a win. But look, he owes no one anything. Um, he's been an incredible pioneer for the sport. Been an incredible, exciting mm. fighter to watch, um, and he's one of my favorite all time UFC fighters. I love him. Yeah. Um, but this was this was brutally one sided. Yeah, it was great stoppage, by the way, by um, oh, yeah, that was something that I really wanted to point out. I mean, and normally when we're talking about referees, we're talking about bad decisions on their part. Um, you know, we try to defend that as much as we can, in that, you know, nothing they do is on purpose in terms of trying to, you know, watch someone get hurt or or stop a fight too early and spoil people's fun. They're trying to do the job uh, to their best ability, but yeah, that was absolutely on point stoppage um and because really, you see really some people might say well why did he stop it because he was still on his feet he hadn't been caught with a big shot but he was rocking and he was he wasn't defending himself he was just no. taking trauma to the head yes for no reason like for no reason the, the um, head the legs as well yeah. he, you know, his legs got really hacked up um and, and i think as well the Korean zombie really wasn't enjoying himself in there. Yeah, um, I th- I, you could almost see in his face that he knew that he was just out of his depth in there. It just wasn't going to plan and he just couldn't retrieve any kind of rhythm. He couldn't get any trajectory off. And and largely because Volkanovsky was just so correct in his base, his balance, uh, his decisions on, on what shots to throw, when to throw that low point kick. He was just absolutely on point. The only times I saw any spark that the zombie could do anything was when he started flowing and just uh, and, and just being aggressive. But when he was sitting, kind of waiting, trying to find openings that weren't really there, I don't think that was the best thing to do. I think if you're going to try to create openings on Volkanovski, you have to literally create them. You have to kind of get get a bit mucky and get get working with him a little bit. But he was almost playing tip for tap with him, and he was just coming off worse. Volkanovski's got a shorter reach, not not. You know, I don't think his reach is quite a long. I'm sure Zombie's got a longer reach, but he was just firing at that jab, landing on him time, time again. And of course, when it was in the pocket, it was just faster in the combos as well. Uh, it was just not a comfortable experience watching it. 
being that I've been a fan of Zombie over the years, really enjoyed watching him fight, but it wasn't nice to see. Um, yeah. But look, let's not let overshadow the incredible performance of, of Volkanovski. I mean, you're right. He has got better and better, and he's becoming one of the best champions we've ever seen. And that shouldn't really, you know, that that that, that performance shouldn't really be overshadowed by the, the fact that he's dominated someone. We should really be thinking that, wow, you know, this guy is really flamenting himself as as someone largely untouchable other than Holloway. I mean. We've always seen that ran by twice. I mean, is that going to be on the cards for a third one? If Volkanovski can carry on with this sort of performance, I think maybe even Holloway couldn't get near him a third time. Well, Holloway's kind of revitalised himself, hasn't he, since the last one? So yeah. I wonder whether they'll rematch him because uh, was it? I think it was Holloway's last fight. He looked uh, very good. He had a wall though, didn't he? He had a yeah. waller. Yeah, I think didn't he come out with like broken bones and yeah 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 they, they were both going at each other it was um yeah, pretty close to contested featherweight division um so you've got yeah you've got holloway is obviously um rank number two so i think he's most likely to be the next opponent for volkanovsky um so yeah. but holloway's one oh brian ortega i'm not sure about that one yeah. yaya rodriguez maybe um Possibly that could be quite an interesting one, and then you're down to Korean Zombie, uh, Calvin Qatar, and then Arnold Allen. I think I gotta say, if Arnold Allen was to have another impressive performance like he did at USC London versus someone in the top five, yeah, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him going towards a title shot soon. Yeah, um, I wonder yeah. whether they might match him if Korean Zombie doesn't retire. I wonder whether they might match uh, Arnold against Korean Zombie next. Quite possibly so. Uh, I, I'm he, not so sure. He called, he called out Qatar, didn't he? I think. Yeah, I think that's him. that's more likely to happen. Um, I, I think Qatar looked, looked amazing in his last time out as well. He looked really, really good. He did. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Right. Um, next week we have um, it's a weird card UFC card next week but sometimes those are the sleepers which end up being absolute bangers um, mm. the main event is uh, Vincent Luque versus Bel Al, Bel Al Mohammed uh, a welterweight so a bit of a weird one it's not for uh, like a title not necessarily that, that, that'll be a good fight because they're both they both really active okay. they're very very proactive fighters so you know trust me that fight's going to be a banger well, that's what I was going to say. I said on paper, it, it might not look, you know, particularly exciting, but actually, I think it's going to be a real good fight. In rank four versus rank five, lots to fight for. Both yeah. similar, similar, similar age, similar height, similar weight. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Similar reach. Um, so that's going to be good. And then uh, on the prelims, we've got Devin, Devin Clark's fighting. Uh, Dracul Closer is fighting Brandon Jenkins on the prelims. Um, someone told me the other day to have a good look at um, Dracor closer and said um, he's been very impressive recently. He's 34, though, I think. Um, but, yeah, it's supposed to be exciting to watch. Uh, but Devon Clark, I'd, I'd be interested how he gets on uh, mm -hmm. against William Knight. Uh, you've got Kaya Borello against uh, Gadazi Omar... Gadzeev Ayev, uh, who is 13 and 0, 
uh, and 29. They're both 29. But Gadiz. Dare you to say that again. Oh, mate. I struggled <laughs> first time. Um, but he's uh, highly rated from Russia. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how he gets on because, you know, he's 13 and 0. Uh, he's yeah. got a four, four fight win streak. Um, I'm not sure how many times he's fought in UFC. So we'll look. Uh, so he was on the contender. He won with a knee bar on the contender series. Um, then he uh, has got this is his UFC debut, so or his full UFC debut. Before that, um, he's fought mainly in sort of Russian uh, Russian shows. So right, big test for him. Um, but he yeah. can obviously make a name for himself on a. He's the co-main event, so they obviously think it's going to be something, right? Yeah, yeah. because you don't put a UFC debut. Co-main yeah. event um, against Kaya Borello, who you know is uh, like the natural. Is there no female belts on? Uh, yeah, there's a Panny Kanzard. So um, Carl Borello um, was out. He's out of the contender series as well. He's had a couple of fights cancelled. He was supposed to fight Jamie Pickett. That was cancelled. Right. Uh, Dustin still off us. Um, so he's had two fights on the contender series. He won both of them. Uh, he was due to, yeah, so and then this is his UFC debut as well. It's really interesting that they've put them in the co main event mm. for their UFC, you know, for their full debuts. Um, obviously, uh, Jake Hadley's fighting soon as well. So, there's a female fight on the prelim, definitely. There's, there's, there's a couple of fights to be announced still as well, so there's only a few fights out at the moment. Um, but there's a bantamweight women's fight. Uh, Lena Landsberg versus Pani Kinzard. So, um, look, of all the women's fights they could put on, mate, that's not particularly one that I want to watch. It's between oh. a 40, 40-year-old, 40 with all due respect, a 40-year-old uh, Lena Landsberg versus a 30-year-old Pani Kinzard. Right. Like, they can put on better women's fights than that on these types of cards where they've got room. And that... I think is what's frustrating me with the the UFC at the moment. It's not that they um you know they don't feature women and stuff like that. They do, but I just feel like in, on those smaller cards where you're giving other guys and girls a chance, that's when you could potentially make a star of some of these women, yeah. put them in a the right fight, so they have a banger of a fight, great performance. You make a you know you you're building them, but yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. I don't want to be disrespectful, but you know. I got not much interest in that fight for yeah. the future as well. Um, not just the fight, you know. It might be a great fight on the day, but one of them is forty, yeah. one of them is the other side of the. Yeah, you watch how we'd be talking about this. Like, oh my god, what a performance! Yeah, but <laughs> my my criticism of it isn't that it won't be a good fight. My criticism of it is that they're not building. I get yeah. new new yeah. stars for the future with a forty-year-old versus a sure thirty-year-old. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure it'll be a great fight. Most of the women's fights are good. Yeah, um, Danny Button, as ever, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Um, slightly longer show, but we knew we knew that going in. Um, big thank you to Ben Doherty and of course our guest Stephanie Evans. Uh, thank you all for your time. Thank you for the people. Thank you for the people who've downloaded. Thank you to Sports Social Podcast Network, and thank you to Violent Money. Check them all out, and we will see you next Sunday. With an all yes, I yes, listeners. Next week. Let's go. Good night. Sports Social Podcast Network.